Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode number 73 of God Beyond the Bible. If you're an open-minded seeker of the Most High who has grown weary of the modern cookie-cutter approach to developing and maintaining your relationship with the Almighty, and possibly aren't satisfied with the stock answers to the difficult questions pertaining to your own spirituality, this podcast is designed by and for folks just like yourself. How about shout-outs today? That's the way I want to say Kirk just left here. Yeah. Hey, Kirk. (laughs) Always a big shout-out to Kirk. Um, And to our listeners in Cleveland, Ohio, San Francisco, San Francisco, <laughs> California, and Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. All what is right, it? What is that? Guys. What is that TV show? Cleveland Rocks. Cleveland. What is Wasn't that the Drew Carey? Show? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, think- my, and of course, San Francisco deal. My mind went back to an old hippie song. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure and wear a flower in your hair or something like something that. Something like that. <laughs> oh, you don't. Tabby don't even Tabby know that song. Tabby doesn't listen okay. to hippie music. Okay. <laughs> you have the quote of the week. I'm this, sorry. <laughs> I do. Our quote is this week is from Eckhart Tolle. Realize deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. You would never quote Eckhart. I, know. I just, yes, I just saw him just yesterday. It was on TV. But. I was going to say, how was he? <laughs> he was on t- it was on TV. All right. Uh, in last week's episode... Uh, we capped off. Oh, I just realized the girls told me to go in a different order, and I didn't. Yeah, do it. you didn't listen. He that's okay. To us Creature of habit. They were both looking at me just like doesn't do, doesn't do any good to tell you anything. Okay. In last week's episode, we capped off a fairly lengthy series of episodes on the end time prophecy, uh, and we had the discussion on the topic topic of an actual end to the material earth. We concluded. I concluded. We concluded that. While it is always a possibility, and should it happen, it's not likely going to be the result of a supernatural activity of an angry creator. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, It's most likely that the Almighty has had to supernaturally step in and prevent the destruction of the planet. What do you think? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so in this episode, we're going to explore a few of the many bends, turns, alleys, and avenues that have led us to having the modern Western English Bible that we use today. And like us, you may find the history fascinating and wonder why this information isn't discussed openly among the leaders and participants of the English-speaking Christian religion. And the best place to begin is, of course, the beginning. So let's dive in. We'll begin by reminding ourselves that if we're reading the Bible in English, 
it is a translation. It's a oh translation, people. Yes. <laughs> it's been translated from another language into English. To our knowledge, there were no English-speaking people in the Old Testament age or even in Jesus and his disciples' age when our New Testament was being recorded. And, of course, you know me and my chasing rabbits. I started looking back into the history of the English language. I was curious about that, but I didn't have time. So. First English. The first English language was called Old English, Mm -hmm. not the furniture polish. And King James English. It started, actually, it was long before his. Oh, really? It was in around the 5th century AD. Um, and it sounded nothing like what we would call English. And if you were to say, good day, hello, it would have been Weiss Hail. That don't sound like English So then in the 16th century Middle English, which was King James English, really came into effect. And in that, it would have been... Good day, sir. Would have been good day, sir. So oh. it still didn't until about the 17th century really start morphing into the English that we're And then in America, with. it's morphed into it's a language American, of its own. Yeah, American yeah. lingo that's mostly slang and everything else. Uh, whose turn is it now for three me? Okay, we found that those who wish to tout one English translation as being superior to another actually know very little about how their preferred translation came into existence. As in the case of those who, with great passion, defend translations such as the authorized authorized King James Version. We may hear some speak as if they think this was the language of the contributors uh, that the contributors uh, to the text spoke in. And as for the authorized part, have you ever questioned who the authority was that authorized it? We'll tell you after a while. That was a hook. Do you remember um, back a few years ago when there was a big deal made because I think it was maybe Dollar General accidentally released a bunch of Bibles with the signed copy sticker on them? (laughs) Do you remember that? With the what now? Signed copy, like it was signed signed by the author. There was a little sticker on it on the Bible when they sold it. It said said signed copy, you know. Okay, no, I didn't get that, but hey, it would be interesting. I'll have to think about that. Okay, the reason we mentioned the King James Version right out of the gate is not because we're launching an attack on this particular version or disagree with anyone who chooses it as their staple and standard for text, but because in these modern times it seems that it is a matter of the King James Version being the standard that all other translations are tested against when it itself is a translation, and anywhere there's a translation of anything from one language to another, there are translators, and the translators are human beings. And let me tell you, if you've never read a book that's been translated from another language to en- another language to English, mm-hmm. some of them are pretty rough. I'm yeah. a, I'm a yeah. big Jules Verne fan, and yeah. so I found these like really inexpensive copies of his books. Uh-huh. There's a reason because you can't <laughs> understand anything. I, I like the ones I like to watch the translators on television that are translating political or something. If I ever watch something or translated, and that guy says like 50 words, and the translator says yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I've watched him do that before. The answer's yes. Or when the translator's just staring at him like, what am I supposed to? Yeah, okay. okay, so to begin, when and where were the first texts translated to English? I mean, as most of us know, the Bible text in its original language was written and preserved for the most part in two languages. The Old Testament was preserved in Hebrew and the New Testament was written and preserved in Greek. So any other language... 
It's a translation. Mm -hmm. The second thing we need to be aware of is that for more than a thousand years, and I didn't, I did not know this, but for more than a thousand years, the text was trapped in a single translated language. That language was Latin. This was the only language that, now that's not what it was written in, that it was translated to Latin, and that was the only, so this was the only language the text was allowed to be copied in or read and spoken from. This was part of the period of history referred to as the Dark Ages, where the Roman Catholic Church held full legal authority over the Christian religion, which was, by the way, the only religion that was legal to practice during that long period. Yeah, so for over a thousand years, after seizing and maintaining control over all the copies of the original text that the church could confiscate, it produced a Latin translation to be used exclusively for more than a thousand years. And this is often referred to as the Latin Vulgate. And, you know, they actually almost tried to pass it off. They called Latin the holy language. They tried mm-hmm. oh, to yeah. pass it oh, off yeah. as this was the original text. Yeah. This, this was the language of God. Yes. So... The first handwritten English language Bible manuscripts were produced in the 1380s AD by John Wycliffe, an Oxford professor, scholar, and theologian. Wycliffe was well known throughout Europe for his opposition to the teachings of the organized church, which he believed to be contrary to the Bible. With the help of his followers called, is that Lollard? yes. Okay, I wasn't sure. And his assistant Pervy and many other faithful scribes, Wycliffe produced dozens of English language manuscript copies of the scriptures. They were translated out of the Latin Vulgate, which was the only source text available to Wycliffe. And the Pope was so infuriated by his teachings and his translation of the Bible into English that 44 years after Wycliffe had died, the Pope ordered his bones to be dug up crushed and scattered in the river and i had no idea that happened that's that's really angry i guess to go to that extreme now you gotta understand the church in that era touted that it had the authority to decide who was in and who was out before or after death yes you could be in fact you were not allowed to be buried see probably wycliffe was buried in the catholic burial ground the roman you would be dug up and excommunicated. <laughs> so you were in heaven until they someone decide, decided you weren't? Decide. And so, if they wouldn't allow you, that's why witches weren't allowed to be buried. People that were accused of witchcraft weren't allowed to be buried. They call that the holy ground. Do you know that that was what created the difference between graveyards and cemeteries? No. Uh-uh. A graveyard is attached to a church and it is considered sacred and holy ground. A cemetery? General. Is just for anybody. Okay. And that's where that all started was they needed a place to put people that wasn't church. So, so the Pope has, because of his translation to the English language, the Pope has John Wycliffe's body dug up, <laughs> the bones crushed, and thrown it and scattered that's in the rough. river. Yeah. Uh, who's is, who's is this? It's me again. One of, how come I, everyone's mine? One of the Wycliffe's, one of Wycliffe's followers by the name of John Huss actively promoted Wycliffe's ideas that people should be permitted to read the Bible in their own language and they should oppose the tyranny of the Roman church that threatened anyone possessing a non-Latin Bible under the threat of execution. Huss was burned at the stake in 1415 with Wycliffe's manuscript Bibles used as kindling for the fire. John Huss's last words for his executioners was that in 100 years, God would raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. 
Almost exactly 100 years later, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his famous 92 Theses of Contentions, pointing out what he called the heretical theology and crimes committed by the Roman Catholic Church to the church door in Wittenberg. That fascinates me because, I mean, that's a pretty direct prophecy. It is. And it was, and and it's recorded. That's what he said. Okay, so before we end this segment, let's take a moment and reflect on this first endeavor to translate the Bible into English. First of all, these were all human actors in this event. Each side of this issue had religious and political motivations and agendas. This is only important because, as we have pointed out before, our philosophy, religious beliefs, and stance on the political climate of the day have an influence on the message we want to proclaim to our listeners in the world. The second thing is that all Wycliffe had to work with was the Roman church translated, edited, and controlled Latin Vulgate. As we will discover, this Latin Vulgate had a big influence on our English translations today. So with that thought, we're going to pause, regroup, and return with part two. Okay, friends, we've established that the first known English translation of the Bible was in the night oh in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> excuse me, was in the thirteen eighties by John Wycliffe and his associates, and was translated from the only text he had access to, and that was of course the Roman Catholic Latin Vulgate. We also have solid evidence that this was something that the Pope did not approve of in the least. Okay, so let's talk about that. Why did the Pope of John Wycliffe and John Huss's day so oppose an English translation of the Bible text, even to the point of exhumation and execution. I mean, let's just—we're just speculating. But what would be what what would be your possible motivation? If, if people go ahead, if people can read it for themselves, that's going to really it might not say that. what you're telling them it mm-hmm. says. I started to say for me, it's if I'm telling you what God says, then God's probably going to agree with me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that's a good. That's a good point. Uh, it's Tracing? Yeah, it's me this time. I lost I'm my glad place. you got that when you're on three, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay, so would this be Johann Geisenflesch? That's him. Uh-huh. Which is English, with the English would be? John Gooseflesh, <laughs> <laughs> which is the person that we know as John Gutenberg. Right. He invented the movable type printing press in the 1450s. The first book to be printed using this method was the Bible in the language of the Latin Vulgate. Though Gutenberg invented what many believe to be the most important invention in history, Gutenberg was a victim of unscrupulous business associates who took control of his business and left him in poverty. Nevertheless, this ability to produce a large number of books in a short period of time was essential to the Reformation movement that was already in progress. Okay, now you guys understand how this, you guys, are. have you ever studied or even looked at how the type setting how the set type works you you've got a rack up there in front of you if our listeners can imagine this in case some of you younger listeners don't know what movable (laughs) type was and you've just got a rack of a's b's c's Mm -hmm. all the way through z's here and they're backwards you're looking at them backwards and you have to slide them in these little slots that goes in this that's the size of the page that you're gonna print and you slide and it's got to be spelled right word for word spacing and everything all done by hand then they are rubbed at that time they were rolled with ink by hand Mm -hmm. and it was pressed onto one page there was one page of one book 
Now, after the type's set, if you want 10 copies, say, mm -hmm. you could go ahead with the type already in place and ink it again and do another page. Mm -hmm. But every book was produced one page at a time. Wow. So, so it was real, but that was an advancement over hand writing. Well, sure, because in a matter of an hour, once it's set, you can make a lot of copies. Whereas handwriting, you're limited to... Mm -hmm. I'm lost. You're, you're number, number four. four. Okay, no wonder I'm lost. It's my turn. In the 1490s, another Oxford professor and the personal physician to King Henry VII and King Henry VIII named Thomas Lineker uh, decided to learn Greek. After reading the Gospels in their original Greek and comparing it to the Latin Vulgate, Lineker wrote in his personal diary that either this original Greek is not the Gospel or we are not Christians. Ouch. <laughs> the Latin had become so corrupt that it no longer even preserved the message of the Gospel. Yet, the church still threatened to kill anyone who read the Scripture in any other language, despite the fact that the Latin was not the original language of the text. In 1496, John Collette, another Oxford professor and the son of the mayor of London, started reading the New Testament in Greek and translated it to English for his students at Oxford and later for the people at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The people were so hungry to hear the text in a language they could understand that within six months, there were 20,000 people packed into the church and another estimated 20,000 outside trying to get in. The cathedral still stands today and has an average attendance of about 200, mostly tourists. Fortunately for Colette, he had friends such as his father in high political places and amazingly managed to avoid execution. Now, by let's the talk about that for a minute before Tracing goes to six. Uh, think about that for a moment. These people had never heard that you were not allowed to quote text in any language but Latin. Mm -hmm. So many of these people spoke no Latin. Right, Most of these that people was not the language yeah, of the day. Yeah, that was that not. So these people. So all you ever did is if you heard anything read out of the Bible, mm -hmm. you heard it in a language you didn't even understand. And then someone told you what it said. Well, or what it would be related to you when you asked a question. What mm -hmm. am I supposed to do about that? Well, this is what you do because you believe those people people possess some knowledge that they had some really detailed mm -hmm. the people had no idea the bible was put together the way it was and was enigmatic right and could be translated a bunch of what they thought these people were reading this word for word what god had yes. said mm -hmm. and so they but so they didn't even know what they were saying when they were up there reading but all the thing they had to go on is what the priest would tell them well this is what you should do mm -hmm. okay so a scholar by the name of Oh, boy. Erasmus was the first to produce a Greek-Latin parallel Bible that was based on the original Greek and not on the Latin Vulgate. His parallel served to further expose the corruption of the Latin Vulgate. It was for sure... Erasmus? Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I'm having trouble with that name. It was for sure that Erasmus found no favor or sympathy from the Pope or the Church of Rome. No, because a parallel Bible means he wrote what the Latin said on one side of the page, and then, and then and he the wrote Greek. what the original Greek said right beside it. Yeah. And <laughs> okay, so uh, it was Erasmus's Greek-Latin work that Martin Luther obtained, 
and inspired him to nail his theses exposing the corruption of the Roman church to the Wittenberg church door. Luther used the Erasmus Greek Latin version as the source of his translation of the text into German. It would be William Tyndale who would contact Martin Luther and use his copy of Erasmus's Greek Latin parallel to produce an English version that for the first time used the original Greek as its source instead of the corrupt Latin Vulgate. In 1525-26, the Tyndale New Testament became the first printed edition of the Bible text in the English language. They were burned as soon as the bishop could confiscate them, but some copies did survive and trickle through. The more King Henry VIII and the bishop resisted the distribution of the Tyndale New Testament, the more it was publicized and more the people wanted it. The church's claim is that it contained thousands <laughs> of errors as they confiscated and torched hundreds of copies. Any individual found to possess a copy of Tyndale's forbidden book was to be burned at the stake. And I figure it probably did have errors when compared to well, yeah, the Latin Vulgate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it didn't agree. Exactly. It had all Not those places. Errors, it did but... <laughs> thousands of places. It didn't agree with uh -huh. what uh, they has been told. But the king said. wasn't done yet. No. <laughs> The leaders of the church feared that the Bible text becoming available to the common man would crumble the church's power and ding, income. Ding, ding, ding. And income, yes. So the king resorted to ordering and paying <laughs> for as many copies of the Tyndale New Testament as he could get his hands on so that he could burn them and keep them from getting to the common people, which actually caused him to become Tyndale's biggest customer. <laughs> And Tyndale used the profits from the king's orders to print even more copies to distribute to the common people. <laughs> Finally, William Tyndale was incarcerated for 500 days, at the end of which he was strangled to death and burned at the stake. Wow. So, you know, we, we kind of snigger about this. These people believed in something. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they risked life and limb. Well, they were as much a martyr for the gospel as As, any. as anybody was, yeah. as those early apostles yes. were for Christ, yes. Part of me going through all of this felt bad that I've never really paid any homage to these people who gave their lives so that right. I could have it a should, shelf full of Bibles it should be, at my house. It should be included. All of these people who had these kind of impacts, that should have been included in every Bible we get handed to us, it yes. ought to have been a continuation oh, yes. of how we get. But, you know, we don't do that because that's not. Well, let's don't go there. Okay. Who's 10? You. Always. <laughs> following Tyndale's arrest, and I just call him Tyndale. But oh. following Tyndale's arrest and execution, two scholars by the name of Miles Coverdale and John Rogers, I know John, <laughs> finished translating the Old Testament Hebrew to English. Now remember, everything that all had been translated up till now has always been just the New mm -hmm, Testament. Mm -hmm. So finally the task of translating the Old Testament Hebrew to English, and with Tyndale's New Testament translation, they published the first complete printed English Bible on October the 4th, 1535 it is known as the cloverdale bible and if you've got an original cloverdale bible it's worth a lot yes, i was wondering how many are still in there's there's still original tyndall's i think cloverdale mm -hmm. the geneva bible we'll talk about in a little right. bit and they're worth a ton of money you can go to a website and price them you can buy them Oh, I'm, I'm sure you can. <laughs> okay, in 1537, John Rogers went on to publish the first complete Bible translated strictly from the Hebrew and Greek. 
He published the Bible under the pseudonym Thomas Matthew, <laughs> which was actually an assumed name that William Tyndall had also used. It was known as the Matthew Tyndall Bible. All right, so we're going to stop right here and pause for a minute, and we're going to come back with part three. Okay, kids, we realize that we're spouting a lot of names and dates in very short order here, but we feel it's important for us to try to maintain some continuity, continuity with all the steps involved in producing our modern Western English Bible that we use today. So just stay with us. Right. We're not really in history class. Right, yeah. Okay, we ended part two in the year 1537 with the translating and publishing of the first complete Bible, Old and New Testaments, translated from their original Hebrew and Greek, known as the Matthew Tyndall Bible. If you remember, it was King Henry VIII who tried to prevent the English Bible from falling in the hands of the common people and even resorted to buying up and burning all the copies of Tyndall's New Testaments that he could acquire. All right, so after their collaboration in trying to stop the distribution of the Bible in the English language, the Pope and King Henry VIII had a falling out when the Pope refused to grant the king a divorce from his wife so that he could marry his mistress, and of course we all know where this goes, right. King Henry responded by marrying his mistress anyway, and later having at least two of his many wives executed. For spite, the king commissioned the translating of the Bible into English and dubbed it the Great Bible. The king then broke from the Roman church and had this new authorized English version be chained to the pulpit of all the churches of England and had literate people on hand to read it to those who could not. This new religious group became known as the Anglican Church or the Church, the church of, of England. England. King Henry acted essentially as the new Church of England's Pope to further spite the Pope he commissioned and funded the printing of numerous copies of the Great Bible for the people to access. Now, I didn't put in it, but the reason they had to chain them to the pulpits is, of course, the, the Catholic Catholics would, would send in people and in and, mm -hmm. and, 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 yeah, destroy them, take them. But it all started just out of revenge, basically. It was spite. It was 100% spite. spite. This new religious freedom that had been born of a king's spite for the Pope was short-lived. After King Henry VIII... King Edward VI took the throne. Upon King Edward's death, Queen Mary took the throne. She became known as Bloody Mary. She was determined to return England to the Roman Catholic Church. So in 1555, she arrested John Rogers, better known as Thomas Matthew, and burned him at the stake. She went on to burn hundreds of followers and promoters of the English Bible and the, and the Church of England at the stake and i have to throw this in there and it has nothing to do with anything but it's one of my random trivia things in alice in wonderland the red queen was based on queen mary really bloody mary mm -hmm. i've heard that bloody mary i didn't i'll be honest with you till i did this research i didn't know exactly who she was yeah she was ruthless. i didn't know she was playing such a role so she was trying remember here uh here king henry has the our uh has taken them out of the Roman Church and established mm -hmm. the. Mm -hmm. Now she's determined to bring them back into the Catholic Church. I wonder if there was any politics there. Oh, that's yeah. what I was just thinking. To, <clears throat> to have that many people executed, there were some very strong feelings. And I'm. Yeah. Yeah. 
The Church of Geneva, Switzerland, was one of the few safe havens the, re the reformer refugees could flee to to escape Bloody Mary's executioners. It was in this safe haven, under the protection and influence of John Calvin, that a Bible was produced for the English refugees. It was known as the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible, published in 1560, was the first Bible to have numbered, chap to have numbered chapters and verses. With the contributions of John Knox and John Calvin, the Geneva Bible was also the first to include commentary for each book and exhaustive marginal notes. It was known in English-speaking circles as the first study Bible. Between 1560 and 1644, more than 144 separate editions of the Geneva Bible were published. It was the single most used English Bible of that period. Contrary to what many Westerners think, it was the Geneva Bible that was first introduced in America. So in the meantime, Queen Bloody Mary dies and Queen Elizabeth I takes the throne in England. She allows for her constituents to return to practice as the Church of England and reluctantly allows the Calvin-influenced Geneva Bible to be printed. During the same period, the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church knew that they'd finally lost the battle to control the Bible by preventing its publication in any language other than Latin. So using their own corrupt Latin version, they produced an English version of their own. It was translated at the Roman Catholic College in the city of Reims and became known as the Reims New Testament. And when the Old Testament was later translated in Doe, is that how you mm -hmm. say that? Yeah. The complete English version translated for the Roman Catholic Church became known as the Doe Reims Bible. I think I've heard them pronounce that Doe. Doe. Still, I think it's coming from the Latin yeah, Vulgate. It, yeah, it's an English Bible for the, and they probably still use it today. That's what I was wondering. If that's that probably was, some of our Catholic friends use. might tell us if they have a, a you know, one that's produced. Mm -hmm. And how It'd to be, pronounce it because Trayson's terrible at this. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, so I want to go back to one thing mm -hmm. uh, before before we go. I didn't realize that John Calvin was one of the ones that first numbered the chapters and mm -hmm. verses and I also put all the marginal notes in there. Now, I have a little problem. This is my problem. I know we all have study Bibles. We all use, and I like this study Bible. I like it. But do you know, when you produce a study Bible, you are now putting your fingerprint in your doctrine. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You have just placed your fingerprint in your doctrine. But it's funny that we never get offended by that. Mm -hmm. This is true. And there are numerous study Bibles that are named after. And, you know, even uh, with people. Some, some evangelists, TV evangelists have their own. Many of them. Oh, yes. Well, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Swag I'm not, Jimmy Swaggart has mistaken, one. Does Max Lucado not have one? And he's Max just Lucado, an author. Jimmy Swaggart has his own. Um, there was another one that I just John came MacArthur. across. Yes. 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 Has his own Bible. And there's, I mean, guys, there are study Bibles from people that we don't even know who put them together. You have, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of these translations, but you have for teenagers, for teenage girls, teenage boys, soldiers, policemen. Yeah. Which means it's all going to be, it's not going to be It's influenced. Unbiased. It's influenced by the writer, and it's influenced by the audience you're trying to. Exactly. Now, did John Wycliffe, he had a very, I don't think it was a study Bible, but he had a very. A commentary. Yeah, I've got a commentary. I've got a John yes. Wycliffe, okay. an old John Wycliffe commentary. Well, you had commentary. a friend that was very much a fan of Wycliffe didn't you yeah I've used him a lot mm -hmm. but yeah I've had some friends that were Wycliffe friends yeah that were fans Wycliffe I'm not friends with them they weren't yeah. that old but 
the 1380s. Is it up to me again? It is. It is. Now I'm on seven, right? Yes. Okay. We discuss every time when it's my time, we discuss and then I'm lost. <laughs> okay, folks. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth I dies and Prince James VI of Scotland becomes King James I of England. Well, we're finally getting there. It was this King James that, with the urging of many of the clergy, commissioned a new translation that basically used Calvin's Geneva Bible as its main source, but excluded many of Calvin's marginal notes, especially those that depicted the Pope as the Antichrist. <laughs> this new King James Version of 1611 became known as the Authorized King James Version. Still says it on the cover of some, many of them, because King James had authorized its printing and publishing. Many people today aren't aware of that fact of why that word authorized on the. It, we think sure. it's, we think, think it's a people, godly title. Yeah. We think it's a godly t God authorized yeah. this one. Okay. Okay. So those who taught the King James Version as the only reliable translation often know very little about its origin or influences. Most aren't aware that it is mostly a reproduction of Calvin and Knox's Geneva Bible, omitting some introductions and marginal notes but closely utilizing the Geneva translations. A quote from greatsite.com reads as follows. Protestants today are largely unaware of their own history and unaware of the Geneva Bible, which is textually 95% the same as the King James Version and also 50 years older. The King James translators admitted that they were influenced by the Roman Catholic Reims New Testament translation of the Latin Vulgate and admittedly took it into consideration while translating the King James Version, end quote. And so today, there are dozens of translations to choose from. The serious Bible student should take into account that some of our more modern versions have returned to the original Hebrew and Greek for a fresh look. And many of our newer translations are not influenced by the religious and political climate that were wielded over the heads of earlier translators. Right. And let's be honest, we have language scholars today that understand our American English language and are better able to translate the original text into words and phrases that make the meaning much clearer than those translated into 16th century English. Right. Right. And I was going back in because, once again, me and my rabbit chasing. But did you know that in the 16th century, the word awful meant awesome? They were synonyms for each other. Well, I've heard people say that's awful good. Uh-huh. In that context, to oh, I never even you know, thought. Heard of, I've heard people say yeah, I've said yeah, it. That's, that's awful good. Boy, really. that's awful good. Um, to flirt with someone was to sneer at them. <laughs> that's the way my wife got me. Meat, M E A T, meat uh -huh. was any solid food. It wasn't meat oh, yeah. from an we're gonna, animal. We're going to take meat, bread, yeah. and it used to be take bread. Mm -hmm. We're going to break bread, mm -hmm. but we're going to take and meat. I've heard them say that. Yeah. If someone called you nice. They meant you were stupid. <laughs> oh, isn't he nice? It's, it's oh, exactly. But bless I just thought, his, bless you know, his heart. But it words that, change. Mm -hmm. The meanings of words change over time. Sure and they it's do. really important and to that's take what, that And that's the point we're trying to make is that there are many, you know, the American, lang the American English language is always in flux. Mm -hmm. Words change. Meanings of words change. Phrases change. Well, any living language. That's what I say. Yeah. And so, you know, what makes us think that King James English translators could better convey into English right. than some of our scholars today that understand our language mm -hmm. today. That's Agreed. all we're trying to say. Do you want to conclude us? I guess I will. We here at God Beyond the Bible are thankful 
to live in this age of free exchange of information and ideas. We are thankful to have access to this amazing collection of works of inspiration that we so generically call the Bible today. Today we have done a condensed history of our English Bible origins. Many people risked and gave up their very lives that the world might have access to this collection of inspired and inspiring works. We would have an almost impossible task of navigating our faith in the Most High without it. That's my opinion. With this said, it is also important to know that any translation of this work or the original itself uh, to be considered infallible is to say that those who penned it and translated it were themselves infallible. A claim that none of them, uh, a, a claim that none of them made themselves. Quite the opposite. They make no attempt to hide the fact that their quest was deeply influenced by the religious and political climate of their day, and it was their motivation to expose what they deemed as a corrupt and controlling religious machine that would stop at nothing to silence those who opposed it. Those who contributed to what we now know as our Western English Bible, no doubt, had noble intentions, but were in no form infallible or beyond reproach. Well said. Until next time, our desire for each of you is that God's grace, peace, and love be on you, in you, and radiate out from you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.